Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved. Do you know that that is what the Lord thinks about you? When, in the heart of the Father, you're his beloved. Although in this case, Paul is talking about his beloved, the Philippians. Therefore, my beloved, as, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may have not run in vain or labored in vain. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. I thank you for this time of year, Lord. I love it. I love this time of year. Lord, where we can remember your son. Lord, he, he left the world. It was a really ugly scene. He was... beaten, unrecognizable on the cross. For every man, every woman in this room, for me. Lord, he came into this world in a feeding trough, a manger, a feeding trough. Used by sheep, used by mules, donkeys. Cleared out. What a scene, the king of the world, our king, our savior, lying in a manger, a feeding trough. Lord, do a work in our hearts today that we would shine as lights, as this word says, in the midst of this generation that we live in. It's crooked, it's not, it's crooked, it's twisted. We don't want to be covered up, Lord. We want to shine as light. You say to us, Lord Jesus, does someone have a light and put it under a basket? No. He puts it in a place all could see. Only, Lord, make us the people that people look at and see and look to heaven as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Okay, be a Christmas light, part two. Verse 14 says, do all things without complaining and disputing, meaning arguing. Do all things without complaining 
and disputing, arguing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then it says, holding fast the word of life. Holding fast the word of life. Now that, 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 that phrase there, holding fast the word of life, in many translations, including the King James Version, it says this, holding forth the word of life. Holding forth the word of life. The Bible is the word of life. The world has been drained of life. The Bible, as we hold it forth, nothing more will make us shine forth in the midst of this generation than holding forth this book, holding forth that book of John and giving it to someone. I love all the Christmas light stuff. I said this last week. Lights on trees, lights on houses, lights on buildings, lights on poles. If you have lights on your hat today, I love it all. But I want to be a Christmas light that shines brighter than any of those lights. The good news is, is that I and you, all of us, have the capacity to do that. A Christmas light, light where there, um, there may be lights on trees, houses, buildings all around you, but people are looking at you because you're shining brighter than all those lights. So let me pause and talk about Jesus. Not at his birth, but after his resurrection. The Bible says he was taken up to heaven. And after that time, the apostle Peter gave the first sermon that was ever preached. I'm preaching a sermon. There actually was a first sermon. It's in Acts chapter 2. And the entire sermon is written down there. And there's about 3,000 people looking at this first sermon. And you know what this first sermon, you know what he said? He told the people, you are guilty of crucifying Jesus Christ. That's what he said. The same can be said of every one of you. You are guilty of crucifying Jesus Christ. Your sin, my sin, crucified Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. It was either Jesus comes and dies because you sinned, or it's you going to hell forever. He loved you so much, he came and was crucified for your sin. You are guilty of crucifying Jesus, and so am I. And so Peter told this at the very first sermon in Acts chapter 2. He, he says, you're guilty of crucifying Jesus. It says his words, cut them to the heart. I hope that's cutting yours. And in Acts chapter 2, it, it says the people cried out to Peter and said words to the effect, okay, we're guilty. What do you want us to do? At which point he said this. He said, Peter replied, repent be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You become a person who has the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's the light in you. It says that 3,000 people gladly receive that word. <laughs> they gladly receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Bible says when you repent, you turn to God, believing who Jesus Christ is, what he did for you, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says this. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. And so um, you become a person with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Um, it, 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 the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This is a sermon, be a Christmas light. You have that capacity because you have the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's verse 11, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Verse 11 or 12. Now you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. So the moment you receive Jesus Christ into your life, the moment you say, yes, Lord, I'm finished being a God of my own life, Come in, be my God, be my Lord, be my Savior. He comes in. It's a promise. He promises that. He's a God of mercy. He does not reject, push back anyone who comes to him with a heart of surrender. He comes in and you become a light in the Lord. However, we discussed this last week. At the beginning of your walk with God, you have difficulty or people have difficulty seeing that light. And why was that? Someone shouted out. Let me get you, give you a Christmas star. Put a little Christmas star sticker on your forehead if you get this right. Why is it that people have difficulty seeing the light a brand new believer. Baggage. Who was that? Raise your hand. Okay, I'll remember. Okay, two, two stars. You get baggage. I get baggage. Everybody, everybody comes into the kingdom of God with baggage. Pride, selfishness, anger, unforgiveness, anxiety, addiction to alcohol, drugs, and porn, obsession. What do people think of me? Obsessed. Uh, compulsions to make as much money as I possibly can right now. Insecurities, baggage. Your baggage prevents people from seeing your light. God accepted you just the way you are with all that stuff. Some of the people like me had all of them and still have some of them. He's up to you exactly the way you are. However, he loves you too much to let you stay that way, and he loves his glory too much. So hence, 
uh, chapter 2, verse 12. We were in it last week. It's briefly, it says, therefore, my beloved, you can read with me, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, ver therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Doesn't say work in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now this does not mean that you work for your salvation. He's talking to people who were already saved, but they got baggage. And it, 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 work out your salvation. Work out that salvation with what? Fear and trembling, meaning not Oh, yeah, 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 I know I got that anger issue, but I'm Irish. And that's just who we are. Or, you know, oh, yeah, um, I, 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 I got this issue, you know, with lust and sensuality, but I'm from, I'm not going to say the country, but, um, <laughs> you know, no, with fear and trembling, meaning really seriously, meaning it's not okay, meaning if it's covering up the light of God with fear and trembling, meaning getting, getting alone, not just every morning spending 15 minutes in, uh, with God in a devotional, getting a day alone and, and crying out to him, Lord, I can't stand my lack of self-control in this area. It's, I'm yours now. Please help me, Lord. That's working out your salvation with fear and trembling, not abusing grace, not, not, not saying, oh, my, my, I thank God the Bible says my sins, past, present, and future are forgiven, which by the way, it does say that. Not saying my sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Uh, thank God, I, 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 I know I have this issue with uh, being, uh, you know, being obsessed about my job and money, but, uh, I, you know, I, and I know it says work out salvation with fear and trembling. I, I know it's great when people do that. I know real spiritual people do. Thank God for grace that I don't have to. No, it doesn't say that. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Every piece of baggage the Lord reveals to you, um, you, you, you work it out, the Bible says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then um, in verse 13, it says what? This glorious um, verse, it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So don't think, even for a second, that you work this baggage out on your, on your own. Pride, selfishness, anger, unforgiveness, anxiety, addiction, obsessions, compulsions, insecurities. No, listen, Christian. God meets you in the process. As you work, it says he works. As you cry out to him, Lord, get rid of this obsession I have, worrying all day what people think of me. The Lord works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. In that piece, for his good pleasure. It's so important that you get 
that for his pleasure. Listen, Christian. Listen, Jesus follower. Listen to me. If you're going to be a Christmas light, you have to have joy. You cannot be a light at Christmas or any other time of the year without joy. And so you remember these verses, John 15, verse 11. This is Jesus, right before he was arrested and taken off to be crucified, said this. These things I have spoken to you. He's been speaking to them for three years. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And of course, later on in Philippians, this verse, we're probably going to quote this verse more than any others. We're going through this book. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You cannot be a light, a Christmas light, without joy. Now listen, and I'm not kidding. I know this sounds, you know, corny and trite. I'm a joyaholic. You can't be a Christmas light without joy, right? And I've shared with you my family history. There's a, there's a history of depression that goes right up through my father to generation after generation after generation. And I got the crazy gene. I got the depression gene. I'm a joyaholic. I got to have it or I ain't going to survive. And I got to tell you, I can think of no greater source in my, of joy in my life than knowing that it gives the Lord joy, pleasure. When I am working out my salvation, my baggage is out of my life. It says, for his good pleasure in verse 13. It says at Calvary Chapel, when you are working out your issues... And don't play make pretend you got issues when you work them out with the Lord. It's his good pleasure. You're giving him joy. That's what it means. Verse 13. It is his good pleasure. You're giving him joy. And I don't know about you, but when I consider that I can do something to give the God of this universe who loved me and died for, died for me joy, that gives me joy. Be a Christmas light. Joy will make you a Christmas light. But let's move on. Verse 14. Again, we started with this. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. So do everything without complaining and disputing or arguing. And, and, and by the way, can I just take a little pause? That includes your spouse. I mean, a lot of us, we think we have an excuse to like go home and complain to our, our, our wife or our husband. Wait a second. The Bible says do all things without complaining or, or, or disputing. Well, you know, she, we're, we're one flesh. Remember that? I, I tell you, I've been on a mission. You can ask my wife. I do not vent to my wife. 
I do not do it. Why do I want to poison her? Why, why do I want to do that? It says, do all things without complaining or disputing. I don't present an issue to Stephanie until I have first presented my complaint to God. When you have a complaint, don't go to your spouse, your friend, get on the phone, go directly to God. Do what the Bible says you're supposed to do. Do we have uh, Psalm 61 too? Oh Lord, oh God, listen to my cry. It doesn't say, oh husband, listen to my cry. It doesn't say that. Are you ladies going home, your husband walks in, you're complaining. No. I ask you, first, have you presented it to God? Oh, God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you. Sometimes it feels like God is on the other end of the earth. He's not. He's right in front of you. He's inside of you. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, do all things without complaining or disputing. Listen, Calvary Chapel, you can do two things. You can try to obey that verse, be a Christmas light by obeying that verse, by just keeping the complaints in, the arguments in, and then eventually you're gonna be called, what? Passive aggressive, because after three months of keeping it in, you're gonna be going, Bleh! you know, you're gonna, whoa, that guy's really aggressive. I thought he was passive. Or, you, you know, you, you, will, you will fit that. Or, or you can obey this by going to God and saying, I got this person in my life, and it's usually people. Lord, please help me. I am incapable of loving this person, I'm incapable. Of, of the patient. It's not running away from them, this person, not running away from the trial. Do all things without complaint. This is be a Christmas light sermon. Notice it says all things. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Some of you may remember our sermon on Philippians 1.21. Someone shout out Philippians 1.21. Someone just shout it out really loud. Come on, louder than that. Someone stand up and shout it out. Jeremy, get up. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, it was a couple months ago when we were in that sermon talking about to live is Christ. But what did we say? Every situation, every person we're confronted with, Christ is in it. To live is Christ and he's doing it because he, it's happening because he's doing something in your life. And something good, all things work together for good. And that's how you see, you, say, you see these verses, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Do all things without complaining and disputing. The Lord provides a way to do this. Verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, what is this generation? It calls this generation crooked and perverse. The word perverse, it's the word scolios, from which we get the word scoliosis, which means a curvature of the spine, means twisted, crooked and twisted generation. It says the generation around us is crooked and twisted. And how has it done that? Because it takes every conceivable thing that was created by God to be beautiful and it twists it to make it something destructive, something that hurts. Sex. Given as something, just the most profoundly beautiful thing by God to mankind. This generation, the world has twisted it and just created so much havoc. Music, dance, gender, it's twisted these things. Something that was created just beautiful by God into something that is destructive and demeaning to human nature. Human relationship, just which has the capacity to be something so rich, so rewarding, so enduring, so easily by the world, it's just twisted and turned into betrayal, abuse, controlling and using. Human government and authority created by God to be something to serve man. It's used to exalt man. Uh, the number one example is man himself. Man himself. God made man in his image, Genesis chapter 2. But the world has twisted man, mankind, into something, nothing less than a God himself. Mankind, an end to itself with no regard for God at all. A crooked and twisted generation, it says here in verse 15. Now, it's interesting. Remember, I was talking about that first sermon in Acts 2. First sermon ever given after Jesus was taken up to heaven. It's the sermon that, uh, again, that Peter said, you're guilty of crucifying Jesus. Interesting the way he ended that sermon. He said this. This is how he ended it. Be saved from this perverse generation, scoliosis generation in the Greek. Be saved from this Twisted generation. Same exact word used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Shine as lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. So, uh, listen, the only difference, of course, which is a huge one, Philippians 2, 15, rather than talking about you being saved out of the perverse generation, which, by the way, there's some of you in here, who are not yet saved. You are part of the perverse, twisted generation. You're part of it. You have not been saved out of it. It's a prayer of faith getting saved out of it. 
But it's interesting how in Philippians 2.15, rather than talking about being saved out of this perverse generation, um, he, he's talking here this morning, be a Christmas light. It's telling you how to be a light to that perverse generation. It's not like God does not like the, the, the city around us, the generation that we're in. He loves this generation. He sent his son to die for this generation. He is sending you to be a light in this generation to draw forth people. So again, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, how does this verse say you're going to be a light in a crooked and perverse generation? Well, one thing, it says by becoming blameless, harmless children of God without fault. That's what it says. Don't get upset with me. That's what it says. It says you become a light in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. You draw people to God by becoming blameless and harmless children of God without fault, without fault. Notice, by the way, it says by becoming. Notice how it says by becoming, meaning it takes time to get rid of your baggage. I mean, I, I've been walking with the Lord for 36 years. I'm still getting rid of baggage. I've got a lot of baggage that was cast to the side of the road a long time ago. I still got baggage. It says, so that you may become. Don't get, don't get discouraged that you don't fit this description in verse 15. Blameless and harmless children of God without fault. It says that you may become. It is a process. The Bible calls it sanctification. It takes time to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Sometimes it takes every day for two years. Lord, I am so insecure when I get around people. Help me. It takes a couple years every day. Insecurity, it's in our DNA. Anyway, how do you get to the point, though, where you... You shine like stars in the midst of a, a crooked and, and, and generation. Again, it says, by becoming blameless, harmless children of God without fault. Now, whoa. <laughs> you know, that, that's a pretty high standard. You say, I'm not there yet. Now, I could, I could take this message now in so many different directions about how working our salvation out with fear and trembling, we actually get to the point where we're becoming blameless, we're becoming harmless, we're becoming children of God without fault. I could take this in many directions, but here's what I want to here's what I want to do. You want to become blameless children of God without fault. Here's one way. Stop lying. Stop lying. I was just in the Amazon territory with 
Freddie and Seth, and uh, the new pastor there of this work. It's just such an incredible privilege um, to, to be a part of what's going on there in Peru. It's a young pastor. His name is Pedro. His wife, his name is Helen. They have three young daughters. And he was just telling me his testimony. And uh, he's an engineer. And he gave all that up. Now he's a pastor. This place is literally in the middle of nowhere. That's why I like going there. It's in the middle of nowhere. If you don't believe so, ask my wife. It's hard to get there. It's in the middle of nowhere. But this guy gives up everything, his career, everything. He's out there. You know, his wife's parents are very upset about the whole thing. Wait a second. I thought you were marrying an engineer. I thought you were marrying a lawyer. Why, why, did he become a pastor? And he was telling me his testimony. And when he was an engineer, now in Peru, Peru, although it's not a very big country, it is the second largest producer of silver, zinc, and copper in the world. It's got these mountains just filled with silver, zinc, and copper. And so he was hired as an engineer by one of the mining companies. And uh, he was a couple months into a job. He's excited about his job. And uh, his boss comes in and has him, wants him to sign a paper. And on the paper it says, uh, you're signing acknowledging that you have three years of experience. It's a brand new job. He's all excited about his job. The situation there is not like here. It's hard to get jobs in Peru. They don't work five days a week there, by the way. It's six or seven days every week. They don't have an eight. They don't have unions. You know, the thing unions bought you the weekend doesn't exist there. And so he has this job, but, but he, he's signing this paper. It's, it, it, they want him to sign his paper. It's his job. His boss is saying, sign it. I mean, he... He has six months of experience. It's this gigantic company. And so what had happened, his company, his engineering company, had been hired, hired by a mining firm, and they agreed, oh, yeah, all our engineers have at least three years of experience. And here's this guy, this young kid at the time, and he's like, what am I going to do? And he told his boss, I can't sign this. His boss became very angry. He says, you've got to sign it. He goes, well, I can't. As it does have a wonderful ending. Somehow, his boss's boss finds out about it. They work things out. And by the way, this, you know how this stuff usually ends? Sometimes it ends by getting fired. Most of the time, you wind up getting promotion after promotion. There's a guy we can trust. Promote him. But in the moment, it's really scary. Stop lying. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's interesting. When it starts mentioning specific sins for the first time in the letter, it's in chapter 4, first sin it mentions, lying. That's a wonderful story. I'm just going to story tell for a little while this morning. This is Christmas stories, story tell. There's a brother in the church, and uh, he got a brand new job. And... It was a good paying uh, it was a pretty good paying job. It wasn't the best paying job, but it was good enough for him. He was single at the time. No, he, he was recently married. So he was recently married, and um, he got this job. And, and then, um, you know, in this particular job, there was going to be about a three- or four-month um, training process where his, his employer's, like, dumping all kinds of money uh, investing in him. 
And so he's working this job, and then he's like, hey, you know, I think I'd like to apply to medical school. I think I'd like to apply to medical school. But then he's thinking, oh, but if I get in, that's not really fair to my employer. And then he said, well, I'll ask the medical school for a one-year deferral. No, postpone it for one year. He applies to medical school. He gets in. And then he applies for the deferral, and they say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. He comes to me, and he goes, well, Pastor Steve, what do I do here? Just started this job. They've trained me. They've put a lot of money in, and, you know, what do I do? Now, the thing that I want you to understand here is that medical doctors, they're not the lowest paying people in the world. So for this guy to tell the medical school, sorry, I'm not going to go, he would be possibly foregoing millions of dollars. And he comes to me. He says, you know, what do I do? You know, I took this job. They've already spent a lot of money. I said, why is it that the glory of God and the body of Christ always takes the back seat? Of course, you have to tell the medical school, no, I can't go, and tell them why. And he did that. He, and, and, and I was thinking about what he did, and I was thinking, wow, when's the last time I had an opportunity to give God millions of dollars? Think about that. He gave the Lord millions of dollars. Not only that, today, five years later, by the way, he applied again and got in. But today, his testimony is that was the turning point. That incident was the turning point of his entire Christian life. Because he grew up poor, and he just said, I just had the mentality that as a Christian, just God wants you, God wants to, to bless you, and he sort of gives you permission to shade the truth. That's, that was in my DNA. And he said, I went from there to a life of absolute surrender. That changed his life. But guess what? He's a light in a crooked and twisted generation. The story gets even better for me. I, I, I asked him, so what is your employer going to think if you go to him and say, sorry, I got to go to med school? He says, they won't even care because so many people do it. <laughs> See, the world is just so used to no integrity. But if the Christian church wants to shine as a light in a crooked and twisted generation, we, we got to start offering God millions of dollars in these situations. And let me tell you, these things usually happen at work. Interesting word study, and I know this is Calvary Chapel, and I know you love to, to dive deep into the word. If you look at this verse, verse 15, let's look at it again that you may become blameless and harmless. That word harmless is the Greek word simple. In fact, some of your Bibles may say simple. It's the Greek, Greek word akarios just means simple. Here's a verse I love. It's one of my favorite songs too, Romans 16, 19. I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. 
Now, some translations say, be excellent in what is good and innocent of evil. This is the more literal translation. I want you to be simple concerning evil. What does that mean, simple concerning evil? It means when you see something evil, you don't try to start, hmm, how can I, like, complicate things and make this seem a little more, less evil so I can do it? I'll give you an example. I was talking to a Christian a couple of months ago, and he was just flying back and forth to this one particular country, and I'm like, well, how, how do you do that? And he goes, well, yeah, I have this friend. He works for the airline, and he, um, he just gives me um, his, his past that I'm a family member. So I just go into the uh, airline and say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a family member. And so he's going back and forth. I said, wait a second, you're not a family member. And he says, I am when I'm flying. That's called not being simple with what is evil. Well, by the grace of God, the next time he flew, he stopped doing that. You can't be a light. In a, gener a twisted a generation that does nothing but lie and lie and lie, if you're lying. By the way, anyone know what the verse is right after six, Romans 16, 19? Be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. Anyone know what the next verse is? And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. If you're lying, Calvary Chapel, don't expect the Lord to crush Satan underneath your feet. The Bible says this about what God thinks about lying. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Now, from time to time you see, you, you hear this thing, well, God doesn't grade sin. Every sin is the same. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. An abomination is an exceedingly great sin in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight and are his light. The light in a twisted generation. So how else, let's go back to our verse, how else do you shine as light in the midst of a crooked generation? Well, verse 16, it says, hold fast the word of light. So the end of verse 15 says, it says, well, it, it, it says again, do all things, uh, rather it says, become blameless and harmless, verse 15, children of God without fault in the midst of uh, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of light. But a lot of translations say this, holding forth the word of life. Holding it forth, holding it out. A a another translation says it like this, holding out to them the word of life. You will be a Christmas light in this world, because guess what's been twisted in this world is more than anything else, it's just the truth, the truth. Example, God is love. He would never send anyone to hell. No, that is partial truth. John three sixteen. God so loved the world 
But if you go reading on in John 3, it says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The world needs to hear, hold forth the word of life. There is no purpose in life. Wrong. That's a twisted truth. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who's called by my name, I have created for my glory. The purpose of your life is his glory. If you're good enough, you can have a relationship with God and go to heaven someday. No. Twisted truth. Romans 3.12 says, there is no one good, not one. Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God is eternal life. All religions are the same. All roads lead to heaven. No twisted truth. John 14.6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. You want to shine as a light in a twisted and crooked generation? Hold forth the word of life. So we're going to have communion now. The worship team could come up this Christmas Sunday. It's about the birth of Jesus. But he was born so that he could die. God didn't leave it up to our best guess to figure out who he is. This whole thing the world calls the truth is that you know everyone's got a truth, everyone's just got to figure out on their own and, and try to figure out who God is. The Bible says no. God did not leave it up to your best guess to figure out who he was. He sent his son, and he sent the word of God. And he sent his son to live for you. The Bible says that the requirement for heaven is perfection. And his perfect life, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every single way that you and I have been, except without sin. And he, if you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, will credit his perfection to you. Doesn't mean you'll stop sinning, but when God sees you, he sees his son, the perfection of his son. Bible also says that he lived for you. He says he died for you. It says that the sin that is unique to mankind, to you, me, and everyone, becoming a God unto ourself, we deserve death and hell. He experienced death and hell on the cross. So he lived for you, he died for you, and then he rose again from the dead for you, ascended into heaven. Now he offers salvation as a free gift, which doesn't happen by trying to be good year in, year out. It happens by just ripping up open your heart and saying, God, come in. I'm done with trying to do life by myself. Come in, be my Lord. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. We're having communion, and so we have the communion tables in the back. Do we have prayer couples, Solomon? So if you could come up at this time if you've been asked to pray.
The Bible says before communion, let a man examine himself. Let a woman examine herself. So before we have communion today, just this is a time to examine yourself. If there's something you'd like to pray about before communion this Sunday before Christmas. There's something you'd like to pray about. If you're in leadership, if we could just get a couple other leaders. We need a couple more prayer couples up here. Thank you. If there's something you want to pray through, maybe you're hearing these, what it takes to be a light in this twisted and crooked generation that says be harmless without blame. Like, that is not me. I got this issue, and I need a brother or sister to pray for me. Come on up. We'll pray for you. Or if you want to, if you want to grow in this very strange and interesting verse which says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I got to tell you, that verse is life-changing once you get it. But you don't get it right now, but you want someone to pray for you before communion. Come on up. Well, let's, so let's just pray for our hearts. Why don't you just stand? We'll sing. If you'd like to pray, come up, and then we'll be having communion. But um, for now, let's worship. Let's worship the Lord. Father, I just pray, Lord, help us, Lord. Help us as we close out this Christmas Eve day. Lord, we want you to rejoice in Jesus' name.